The last page has been turned on my most recent read, but I'm actually going to be talking about a book I finished a few weeks ago when I was going through one of my quick reads moments, which happen quite a few times a year. If you've already listened to last week's spoiler-free review of Iron Flame, then you know what's coming, or at least have some kind of idea. Last week's episode has been doing really well, so I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has already given it a listen, and thank you in anticipation to everyone who hasn't yet, but is planning to. You know where the link is, and I will post it below. The book I'm going to be talking about today is another cosy mystery because you guys seem to love them almost as much as I do, which is definitely to my benefit. The book I'm talking about is Agatha Raisin Hot to Trot by MC Beaton, written with R.W. Green. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion filled as ever and ready to roll, all of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I return to Carsley to catch up with Agatha, Roy, Tony and the rest of the village in the 31st book in the Agatha Raisin series, Hot to Trot. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. As I mentioned last week, November has been a pretty good one for new books, with two fantasy novels hitting my doormat. However, this book was released three years ago in 2020, the year after Marion Chesney sadly passed away and passed the baton on to her new co-author R.W. Green. I have already talked about the most recently published novel in the series and if this were fantasy then I would say there was no going backwards. But as each of these mysteries could be considered an isolated story, almost like episodes of Murder, She Wrote with a mystery of the, of the week connected by the characters who get involved and often solve them, I don't think that this is the case. Private detective Agatha Raisin immerses herself in the glittering lifestyle of the fabulously wealthy when Sir Charles Fraith is accused of murder and Agatha is named as his accomplice. A high society wedding, a glitzy masked ball and an introduction to the world of international show jumping where the riders are glamorous, the horses are beautiful and intrigue runs deep leave Agatha with a list of suspects as long as a stallion's tail. Sinister evidence then emerges that appears to seal Sir Charles's fate, and Agatha must uncover the truth before a net of skullduggery closes around him, and he loses his ancestral home, his entire estate, and his freedom. And if events weren't complicated enough, Agatha's ex-husband James Lacey is back in Carsley, and back in Agatha's heart. Oh, I love that word, skullduggery don't know why it's very old-fashioned and it, it just has that Agatha Christie tone to it 
The book starts with Agatha furiously walking through the town of Merster, having just discovered that her friend and sometime lover Charles Fraith is marrying someone young enough to be his daughter. And he didn't even tell her about it, letting her find out via an announcement in the society pages. Seriously, if someone had done that to me, I wouldn't be considering them anything close to a friend and I'd probably be contemplating not ever speaking to them again, but that's because I'm petty. Aggravated by the news of his marriage, Agatha takes things out on Tony, her apprentice, when she gets to the offices of Raisin Investigations. But the irritation with her is short-lived, albeit incredibly sarcastic and kind of cruel in tone. Frustrated with Charles, Agatha takes the first opportunity to visit him at Barfield House to find out what he's doing marrying this woman she'd never even heard of before. She's already saved him from disaster several times, which she is not averse to mentioning. When she arrives at the house, she is shocked to discover that Gustav, who has made it very clear he is not Agatha's biggest fan, is only too happy to help her get rid of the unlikable brown fields, as they have taken over the house and seem to be keen to get rid of him. He is willing to do anything to help Agatha find dirt on them and get them out from under his feet. The way he describes them, they are unbearable and he doesn't like them at all. It appears from what Gustav shares with Agatha that they have some rather unscrupulous plans in mind for Barfield House and the rest of Charles's properties, which include surrounding farms and farmland. And once Mary and Charles are married, the whole family are going to put these plans into action. After calling Roy and asking him to do a bit of digging into the lives of the Brown Fields family, Agatha goes out with Tony, during which time the pair have a rather honest and somewhat blunt conversation about Agatha's behaviour and the fact that her apologies are rarely, if ever, genuine. The day before the wedding arrives and James makes an appearance, during which he is decidedly too familiar with his ex-wife and seems to want something from her, which, which makes me feel just a tad uneasy. They didn't exactly separate on the best of terms, and now he's being strangely friendly. This t- change of tone in their relationship is something that I'm not comfortable with at any point after they separated because he did kind of leave her in the lurch. Though uninvited and certainly unwelcome as far as the bride is concerned, Agatha and James show up at the wedding where they are greeted by rough-looking bodyguards. They manage to get in the door, but once the bride notices them, they are chased out of the event. Clearly, something is not quite right in the state of Barfield House, but will Agatha get to the bottom of it before someone gets hurt? Things in the Fraith household aren't exactly happy. Charles has discovered the truth behind Mary's plans for his house and land. She has plans to increase the rents of the land tenants, eventually forcing them to leave so the entire property can be converted into a leisure resort. She is not happy with being called out for her plans and makes it very clear to Charles that he is not going to get in her way. Happy families, they definitely are not. Unwelcome at the house following the wedding, though Gustav didn't exactly make her feel welcome before, Agatha and Tony sneak into the house on the night of an exquisite and exorbitantly extravagant masquerade ball. 
Mary is determined that she is going to be Lady of the Manor, even demanding that Gustav refers to her as Lady Mary around the house. Isn't that a character in Downton Abbey? I don't know. I, I mean, I've never watched it, but I'm sure that Lady Mary was a character in it. So this ball is her way of defining her status to the other residents and making her mark. She is enjoying showing off for her admiring guests, but it doesn't last long. For not long after ensuring that Agatha has again been chased off in the most humiliating way, which includes Mary pushing her into a table with a champagne fountain on it, the young, vicious and new bride is found hanging in one of the stables, dead. Of course, Agatha is first on the scene with a horrified Charles at her side. Unfortunately, given the very public state of their relationship, she is close to the top of Chief Inspector Wilkes's very short suspect list. Poor Charles isn't even given a chance to grieve. With new revelations about his finances and how they are set to improve thanks to the death of his young bride, he immediately rises to the top of the suspect pile like cream on milk. Now it's a race against time to find out if there is anyone else who could possibly have so much against Mary Brownfield that they would go to such extremes to get her out of the way. Of course, it wouldn't be an Agatha Raisin without some complexity, and this one is no different. Agatha's investigations lead her to the revelation that Mary was always a distasteful and unpleasant person who would stoop to absolutely anything to ensure she got first place. Competitive show jumping was one of her greatest passions and she hurt a lot of people to the point where she could have killed them in order to gain success, leaving many potential enemies in the dust behind her. So who is the killer? What was their motive? And with suspicions bouncing about in her head about her dear friend, is Agatha going to manage to solve the mystery of who really killed Lady Mary? Apart from my two pre-order deliveries and the arrival of my November locked library, I managed to resist the call of any and all bookshops until I had some stressful news on Thursday and caved, completing my Kaufman and Christoph collaboration collection with the Illuminae Files trilogy, which I'm looking forward to reading. I was trying to resist buying anything off my wish list for the next few months, but emotions and spending are intrinsically linked for me, and I could no longer resist. But the ban is back on in the run-up to Christmas, barring any further emotional disasters. Do you hear me, bank balance? I'm, I'm sorry. Hot to Trot is a relatively short book in comparison to a considerable number of the novels I have read of late, at just 238 pages. Hence my decision to read it during my period of quick reads, which is basically when I pick up the shorter books on my TBR and get through them in a relatively short period of time. As I have already mentioned, this book was released in hardback in 2020, so it has been out for a while. Even so, I didn't give in to the urge to check out any portal for spoilers because I wanted to see if I could figure out the motive and the murderer in this particular mystery while I was reading it. Then, 
checking out books I want to read on Goodreads isn't something I tend to do because there is always the risk that someone will post an incredibly detailed spoiler-ridden review and knowing the luck that I have and I've had of late, I would see something I really didn't want to that would negate any purpose in reading it. I think that reviews do reveal a lot about how different we are as people because what is one person's sirloin steak is another's Brussels sprouts, though thinking about either is actually rather um, rather unpleasant for me personally, because I don't like sirloin steak or Brussels sprouts. So maybe I should have said a tuna steak or a really nice creamy chicken and mushroom pie topped with puff pastry and served with mashed potato. Oh god, that sounds really good. Now I'm hungry. Agatha Raisin is a wonderful creation, though I have to be honest here and say that some of the books aren't quite as good as the others have been, though there are obviously a few exceptions. And despite the fact that Cozy Mysteries and Cozy Crime have a very loyal and rather large audience, it appears that the majority of readers of this genre aren't present on platforms such as Goodreads and Amazon, or at least they don't seem to leave reviews and ratings on them, because they're too busy picking up the next book, I guess. When it comes to books, movies, TV shows, and pretty much everything else, everyone has their likes and dislikes, and every opinion is subjective. As always, I want to give you a balanced perspective because hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important. Sure, I may not share them and they may have found something entirely different in the book when they read it to what I found, but that doesn't make their opinion or mine any less valid. This is how they felt about it. Of course, as I always say, don't let any of these reviews, including mine, sway you into buying something or not that you want to find out more about. Aloha Forever has been a fan of the books for a while, but didn't find the same enchantment as previously. She gave the book one star and said, It is but a pale imitation. Everything that endeared Agatha to the reader and exasperated them at the same time was missing from this book. The other characters were slightly too greatly distorted as well. Since when did Mrs. Bloxby start addressing Agatha by her first name, and only Charles and Roy ever called her Aggie? Also, there are no other cottages really close to Agatha and James's, but suddenly there are several in Lilac Lane, apparently. Even the cats were behaving differently. These kind of basic details are character and scene establishing, and to get them wrong shows how little homework Green did. Even fanfic writers, good ones at least, take pains to remain faithful to the original. When Agatha admonished Simon for using a vulgar epithet about their clients and lectured him on professionalism, I was done. Green was clearly an Agatha James shipper. Shame he decided to torpedo the slowly building arc of Agatha and Charles's romance and promote the mismatched Agatha-James pairing. Apparently, James is cuddly and sensitive all of a sudden. I won't be reading any new Agatha Raisin books. I wish at the very least Beaton had chosen a female author to complete her work and carry on her legacy. Admittedly, there has been a shift in the style of writing since the unfortunate de demise of Marion Chesney. 
However, these books are still credited under her name. And until the book released this year, Dead on Target, R.W. Green was credited only as a co-writer. Given that Chesney didn't pass away until 2019, it's highly possible she had a considerable amount of input in this volume, far more than Aloha Forever is perhaps giving her credit for. It's always interesting to find out what other people think about books I've already read, especially when I have strong feelings about them. However, even when I don't, it's fun to see if they've evoked something strong in someone else. A review can make me consider elements that were already niggling at me to the point that I wanted to rate something higher or lower than I did on first reading. But it also can help me to put my finger on plot points that might increase or decrease my enjoyment of the book. Unlike the book I reviewed last week, which has now amassed an incredible 135,334 ratings and 22,693 full reviews, and it's only been out for a week. In the three years since its release, Hot to Trot has accrued 4,983 ratings and 591 reviews on Goodreads. As with most books I look at, the distribution of those reviews is skewed towards the higher end of the scale, with 65% or 3,309 four and five star reviews and only 4.5% or 284 one and two star ratings and reviews. On Goodreads, the overall rating for the book is 387 influenced, no doubt, by the fact that most of the higher ratings are four stars rather than five, and there are 27% or 1,390 three-star reviews, so average, which tends to even things out just a little bit. As I have said before, fantasy seems to be the genre that attracts more readers who will abandon a book they aren't enjoying, while more who enjoy cosy mystery and other genres that tend to encourage shorter books will read to the end, even if they aren't enjoying it, because a shorter book is much less of a commitment than something that's six or 700 pages. When reading through the one-star reviews for Hot to Trot, I was unable to find any who mentioned leaving the book unfinished, though I did find a considerable number who have stated they neither enjoyed the book or wanted to read another one after this in the series, which is a shame. At the other end of the scale, Amy gave Hot to Trot five stars, happy with the changes introduced by the new author. She said... I am a big Agatha Raisin fan and I have loved this series. I purchased this book as the original. I read it two years ago when it did not include the foreword by R.W. Green. It was very interesting to hear about the author's thoughts and the transition of the series. This was an excellent mystery which kept me guessing almost until the end. As I read so many books, I don't remember all the endings and I love reading them again. Agatha puzzles out the murder of her best friend's new bride. She's up to all of her tricks with the help of her wonderfully quirky band of detectives. Roy Silver, one of her oldest friends, is in this book. He is hysterical. He and Agatha must infiltrate the world of equestrian competition. I found it particularly competitive. Roy is a funny, witty, great character, and anywhere these two go together is a hoot. 
Tony, one of her employees, is a wonderful character as well, who is featured in the book. She has the opportunity to do things with Agatha she would never have had previously. She is complex and fresh off dating. Agatha always wants her to herself and not with a man, and so do I. Simon does a bit of work too. There is the description of a lovely manor and a masquerade ball and lovely events in the Cotswold area of England, which sounds beautiful in the spring. Her detective agency is growing strong, and for the mystery to be solved, Charles Charles himself, as well as Agatha, must be cleared. Back at home, some simmering thoughts about her next-door neighbour James are always changing. I can't wait to read the next two books available now to find out while Agatha solves more mysteries in her own special way. I have to be honest, I actually enjoy taking a bit of time to read through reviews of a book, but only after I've read it, or if I have no intention of reading it at all. It may sound like an odd way to spend an afternoon, but it really can be entertaining, especially when you look at reviews of book series like Fifty Shades of Grey or something equally as popular or contentious. It can also be fun to read through reviews of books that I've enjoyed. Okay, so I may well not feel the same way about the book as someone who gave it a one-star review, but that doesn't make them any less enjoyable. When it comes to opinions, everyone has one, and often they will be different. And this is certainly evident when it comes to reviews of this book. Though I have to be honest and say that this time, the discussion points have been far more vicious than they have previously. Of course, what I want and need from a book may not be what the next person who picks it up is looking for. I love the idea of escaping into a novel and just ignoring everything that's happening around me. For me, a book is nothing but escapism, but others may want something else entirely. Right now, I just need escapism, being honest. Sometimes when reading reviews, I think it would be nice if I had the chance to find out what went on in the mind of the readers when they read it. Knowing what they were thinking about the book and why they picked it could make it that much easier to understand why they liked it or not. There are always going to be a few people, or more depending on the book, who see the same things in it. But there are only so many plot lines, characters and twists that can take place in a book before it becomes too convoluted. So this is hardly surprising. I guess that this is why I think you have to take every single review, whoever's written it, with a pinch of salt. I am always happy to give book recommendations, seriously, I really am, as are most book readers, but like everything, they are still very personal. So if you're looking for your next read and only have a bit of time to find something, then why not start by thinking about the TV shows and films that you really enjoyed and the books you've already read and go from there. You might find something by an author you read years ago that is amazing this is the first step to finding a book that you might love. There is no guarantee that any book you're recommended or you recommend to yourself is going to be a top 10 read, but it's always worth taking the risk. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Agatha Raisin Hot to Trot by MC Beaton with RW Green. Completely spoiler free and 100% honest.
did I like the book. I have held a great fondness for Agatha Raisin since I read The Quiche of Death for the first time just over a decade ago. I loved the different and interesting characters we were introduced to as Agatha tried to make her home in Carsley after living in the cold harshness of London for decades. I found Margaret Bloxby enchanting and Roy Silver just has that certain something that makes me want to take him out for a night on the town or for an afternoon of gossip at a classy restaurant, preferably with an afternoon tea and a really good cup of Earl Grey. The way that our slightly grumpy and possibly snobby protagonist started to get involved with the events of Carsley because she wanted to fit in pulled me into the story and the introduction of the incompetent Wilkes gave me a few chuckles. So of course I wanted to read more when I finished that one. I do actually have a review of Quiche of Death if you want to hear more about that particular book. I think I recorded it in 2021. In April 2022, I reviewed a book that falls earlier in the Agatha Raisin series, There Goes the Bride. And I guess my feelings for that book are going to somewhat influence my reaction to this one. To a degree, I can't help feeling that while Hot to Trot isn't exactly a carbon copy of There Goes the Bride, there are a considerable number of similarities. But before I get to talking about those, there are a few other things to cover that have been mentioned in earlier reviews. In her one-star review, Aloha Forever mentioned that one of the issues she had was with the way that the characters had changed when the new author took over. While I agree that there have been changes, especially in the conduct of some, James, I didn't notice many differences in Agatha herself. I know that some people liked her angry and bitter behaviour, but as I know I have mentioned before, seriously, quite a few times, these particular traits continue to make her an unlikable person. Her jealousy of younger women and assumptions about their character is distasteful and actually makes me uncomfortable. I appreciate that many may like this about her, but the acceptance she found in Dead on Target made me somewhat happier to continue reading. So maybe I'm in a new club that likes the new and improved Agatha Raisin with her growing view of getting older. In Hot to Trot, she is still this angry and annoyed woman who looks upon anyone younger than her with an element of distrust and envy. And this behaviour is actually at the root of the central murder in the book, and possibly the reason why Agatha is considered a suspect when her friend and sometime lover Charles Frace's new wife is murdered. Agatha's suspicions and jealousy when the new lady Fraith is concerned don't help her cause. Gate crashing a wedding and a masquerade party that she's not welcome at because of her previous relationship with Charles and their continued closeness does not, surprisingly, enamour her of the bride. There is no denying that Agatha is really good at her job. She's smart and efficient and Wilkes' dislike of her is sort of understandable when you consider how many times her abilities have made a fool of him in front of his colleagues and the wider populace. As with many of the books that have been released in the latter half of this series though, and certainly There Goes the Bride, there are a considerable number of red herrings and possibly unnecessary twists and turns. Where There Goes the Bride introduced us to multiple odd romantic entanglements, including one that had Agatha moving to France and getting engaged to someone who had never even been previously mentioned, 
Hot to Trot has Agatha heading to France, meeting a glamorous woman who does make further appearances in the series, by the way, and also fancying herself in love with yet another charming Frenchman. The biggest difference between There Goes the Bride and Hot to Trot is the groom. Charles has found himself in a bit of financial trouble, and marrying the desperately unlikable Mary Brownfield is his way out of it. She is the child of two rather unbearable people, and all three of them together love the status that marrying into a titled family gives them. They are all rather vulgar and crude. And this is pretty much all we find out about them, apart from the fact that Charles's loyal butler and companion, Gustav, cannot stand them, which quickly adds him to the list of suspects when Mary is found dangling in the barn. The more I read and the more I discovered about Mary and the kind of person she was, the more I realised that the number of motives and potential murderers was going to get long enough to make a book of its own. While I think that having a number of possible suspects is a good thing, especially when aiming to misdirect the reader, a book that is less than 250 pages long could really do with fewer complexities and more resolutions. I love these books. Seriously, the Agatha Raisin series is cosy, cute and familiar. However, this book feels a little tired, as though there was an element of, I don't know, um, hesitance when it came to the storyline. The whole strangeness with James is something that I am growing reluctantly accustomed to in a way that indicates I really don't want to. Did that brain tumour have an irreversible effect on his personality that we have not yet been verbally made aware of? Is it a case of showing rather than telling? Whatever the case may be, I am over it, seriously. Get James out of her life! For me, James and Agatha were over a long time ago, before he made an attempt at walking down the aisle again and not with Agatha, but for some reason, they seem to keep on wanting to throw these two ill-matched people together. Their story is more than over and done with. And I have to be honest, I have always hoped that Agatha and Charles will eventually find their way to each other. I hope that Charles still seems to hold, even though he's walking down the aisle with someone else. What other indicators do we need to show that he's a reluctant groom, at least in this event? I've already mentioned how much I love Roy and I feel as though there are times when he is simply a footnote in the story and in this book I feel that, that is again the case. He provides Agatha with a bit of support in her investigation but his exuberant presence isn't felt for more than that. Tony is growing on me. I know that she's been around for quite a while, but with Agatha's inner monologue finally less about her jealousy of her young apprentice and more focused on important matters such as the jobs they're carrying out, it's getting better. Tony admires her mentor and if there is one good thing in this book, it's evidence of the way that their relationship as employer and employee and friends is building in a positive direction. For me, in truth, there were just far too many similarities between There Goes the Bride and Hot to Trot. Granted, the method of murder was different, which is a relief, but as with the other book, there were far too many moving parts. A little bit complicated is good. Too much complicated, especially in a short book, is bad. 
I have to say that one thing I did enjoy about this book is how unlikable they made Mary and her parents. The nouveau riche Daryl and Linda, they were just perfect. And I would have liked to have had a few flashbacks to learn more about them outside of the murder investigation, especially when it came to their links to Charles and how he came to be involved with this very shady trio. This book had a lot of potential and while a majority of the lower rated reviews stated they could clearly see the difference between Beaton and Green's writing, I have to be honest and say that the bitter qualities that made Agatha so familiar to some were ones that I continue to struggle with and really felt were obvious in this particular novel. Currently I am reading book 33 published in 2022 and the less friendly and positive aspects of Agatha's character, the things that seemed to become more apparent in the latter half of this series from around book 19, which was A Spoonful of Poison, another I have already reviewed, seem to be fading into history, from which, for which I'm personally incredibly grateful. Overall, this book was not the best in the series. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times but Quiche of Death has that place firmly in my heart. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't bad, but the very obvious similarities to a book I felt lacked a lot of the positive qualities of a cosy mystery make it one that I will probably put on the shelf and only refer to if I need a reminder of one of my less sensible book purchases after that time back in February when I purchased all five Akatar books without having read a single one of them. Will I read more Agatha Raisin? Despite the fact that I have honestly read quite a few books in this series that have been less than fun or even quality, I am not going to abandon my girl Agatha. I have a further six on the shelf that I am going to take my time reading through eventually. Some of them from earlier in the series as I haven't actually been reading them in order. But does that really matter? I want to find out if Agatha and Charles are endgame, if Tony ever finds the right man, if James does the right thing and backs off completely, and of course if Roy ever leaves his advertising job in the city, which has had him in some very questionable situations over the years, and finally joins Agatha and her agency full time. I can't help it. I really want more of him in the books. Actually, I just want him in the books all the time. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. This one is really easy. I have a full list of recommendations in my Cozy Crime playlist. Of course, not every single one of them is perfect, but they each have something to offer the cozy reader and can lead to something even greater if you take the chance to look. There's the wonderful Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jessie Sestanto, which I think is a fantastic found family tale with a mysterious murder at the centre of it all. And Vera Wong is just wonderful. Then, of course, we have The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood, which is being made into a TV series. Judith, Bex and Suze are incredible and together they make very good and very bad decisions as they head towards solving a trio of murders. I actually recently recommended this to a friend and she didn't like it, which 
I was disappointed about, but I know that every reader has different needs when it comes to books. So she was happy with something else that I recommended instead. And that made me feel like I'd done something good. No list would be complete without a book by the Queen of Cozy Crime. And though there are 66 of them to choose from, Evil Under the Sun by Agatha Christie remains one of my favourites. A complex mystery solved by the ever-intriguing and incredibly clever Hercule Poirot. I will post a link to my playlist in the episode notes so you can take a look through it, give the episodes a listen if you haven't already done so, and make your own decisions. Earlier this week, I attended, virtually anyway, the Picador 2024 New Voices event. And as much as I would have loved to read everything they introduced, they all sounded incredible, I limited myself and a few of my chosen books have already arrived. I will post images of them on my Insta this coming week. Even though I didn't realise one had actually arrived and was left outside my flat for two days... My postwoman doesn't bother ringing the doorbell when she has a parcel to deliver because she knows I work from home, unless, of course, it has to be signed for. Instead, she just leaves them by the front door and goes. So that's what happened. Luckily, I live in a block of flats, so it didn't get absolutely chucked on when it rained on Wednesday and Thursday. This week, I read the absolutely wonderful and very cosy fantasy that is Bookshops and Bone Dust by Travis Baldry. And though I would like to talk more about it, I am going to save that for a later date because tales of orcs and books will make for a good episode. Yes? Books remain my happy space and I am really looking forward to sinking into the new worlds they always introduce me to. And while I am going to maintain my book buying ban for the time being, yes, I know I flunked it out again this week, I do want to try and continue building my list of prospective new tales. So if you have any book recommendations, please email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram, where I also post pictures of my current and planned reads. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. The first one of the autumn went out the beginning of October, and I am still working on the next one, I promise. Check out the link in the episode notes to find out more. And though I do keep on saying another one is in the works, I am, I am really working on it. Well, that's it for this week and thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you might listen. You can follow me on Instagram and threads as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews and on X as Being Underscore Bookish. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. I have a few options in the wings for next week, including a science fiction trilogy and the beauty that is The Hurricane Wars by Thea Gerson. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.